and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. I'm your host, Catherine King, and it's a pleasure to have you join us today. In this series, we'll be speaking to senior data analytics leaders to share their experiences, challenges, and insights. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Data podcast. This week, we are talking about bringing everyone together, specifically how to unlock the power of people and data, creating a community approach to learning and support. Now, I am extremely excited that I managed to carve out some time with the fantastic and fabulous Di Mays, who is the global head of data and AI for WPP. Now, I'm sure most of you would have seen her speaking at one of our various events or you've come across her in the conference world but if you haven't just a few intro facts for you about Dai. Now Dai is in fact WPP's first ever global head of data and AI and began her role at the start of this year. Now previous to WPP, Dai has worked at a number of brands including Mediacom, Acceleration and Boots, so some nice big brands in there. Now if you can't find Dai at work, you'll find her taking part in some sort of crazy fun activity like laughing yoga, circus skills or maybe even on a kayak on the way to the pub, which I'm told is in fact an organised activity which sounds like great fun. Dai, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Well, as is the bod pod tradition, as we all know by now, we're way into season two. We know we know how this runs. Nosy question in first. And I've got, I can't I can't scroll past this, can I? Laughing yoga sounds like great fun. And just circus. It still seems a bit random. Dive, I'm not going to lie. It seems a bit random. What do you enjoy most about these these sorts of activities? I've got a group of friends that we just pick each crazy activities for each other to do. So it's almost become a dare. But I will say to anyone who is missing a laugh, laughter yoga is so much fun. I even looked up trying to be um, a qualified laughter yoga teacher because we lay on the floor, you know, when we could meet up, obviously, but we lay on the floor of Clapham Common in a circle, all our heads together. And we, the last bit of the session, we just had to laugh and we just, I mean, properly laughed till it hurt. So I, I think it's good to get out of comfort zone and do some of this really weird stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I love doing these podcasts because not only do I get to dive into some really interesting topics, I get to find out more about the fantastic thought leaders that we get to work with. And I mean, I, I've never I've never had a conversation about laughing yoga, let alone in a work environment. So, you know, we're, we're setting a precedent here for the podcast, I feel. And uh, we're going to have a really great episode. So thank you so much for uh, giving me some of your time today. Now, as I said there in the introduction, you are in fact WPP's first ever global head of data and AI. What was WPP's data situation like before you joined? What did you walk into? Right, so if um, for people who don't know WPP or have heard of it, not quite sure. So uh, there are 100,000 people in WPP. It One in four ads, some people have rounded up to one in three. So let's go half halfway between those two um, ads are created by WPP. So we um, we have hundreds of agencies in over a hundred markets working across creative media and experience. So uh, data was federated. I mean, it still is. Um, and I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, but there's a lot of people in a lot of places. So I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time um, doing discovery, really. I just, I'm looking for pockets of talent and great stories, whatever I do, but that's 
there's a there's a lot to uncover. Super, fantastic. Now, as I said, so you, so you walked through the door, well, just about walked through the door because you, you started in, was it January or February this year? It was January, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you walked through the door just um, and and you, you are the first in this role. So has that meant you've been able to put your own interpretation as to what that means? Because you, you haven't had that chance that people have had and seen this position before so they know what to expect or have a set, set of expectations. So were you able to, to kind of put your own stamp on it? Oh, yes, yeah, been my dream role, actually. And I'm in most of my career, I've been the first person in the role. And I think it's because I I like to make make roles that suit me and suit my skills. So um, other people who would have got this role may have had more of a structured tech leaning. So I suspect there'd be a whole group of people who'd be looking to build a centralized data lake or start some big data structure projects, mm -hmm. centralizing stuff. Uh, for me, I absolutely believe in people and the power is in the application of what this great people do to the data rather than the data itself. So I've been able to um, carve out my dream job because I've just made it about data people and us investing in people over data and and empowering people in agencies to mm -hmm. share, to be proud of their work and giving them a stage to um, to promote the stuff that they're really proud of I mean it's, it's such it's such a positive thing because when I you know whether it's my own ignorance but when you think of really large companies and I think it's fair to say WPP is a very large company you often think that kind of what's the way it's said is the way it goes and that there's no real movement but it's really fantastic to hear that actually you did have the flexibility to really really harness how you wanted to do it and and be able to move forward with that I think it's quite positive I mean in a previous episode of the Bob Pod we were talking about careers and and you know getting into it so it's quite a nice positive advertisement really that WPP has uh, kind of let you take the reins of that role. I'm really proud and I'm really you know work for really great people who believe in me and what we're doing and are fully behind you know the mission of data for good and responsible AI and taking care of our mm. people and upskilling everyone and there's a there's a lot of attention and support for it and I think particularly with the year that we've had putting people around the center of your data strategy is um is definitely the right thing to do absolutely and let's let's dive into that a bit more the year we've had so when you walked through those doors on your first day I'm going to bet my bottom dollar that you didn't expect the year in front of you that we've had so you know starting a brand new role hasn't been done before there's no real kind of road ahead that, that's mapped out for you you're doing all of that for yourself I mean doing that ahead of a global pandemic must have been extremely challenging what did your first say 90 days in this brand new role look like so uh, I always believe in the, the power of three. Um, people can remember three things. So I started to bucket our priorities into three things. And uh, the first one is centered around a stat from Gartner, who I quote all the time, and that's they predict by 2022, 80% of data lake projects will have failed because curating and inventorying data is so hard. Yeah. So uh, I hired a global head of data management who's totally awesome. And he and I have been building out a catalog which is a it's a crowdsourced thing so we we share licenses with our agencies but we say come on you add your data you tell us how you're using it and then we can continue to support it so that's the first one and to just share a story about curating data I I love all data um some of the data in there I think probably isn't as useful as it might be 
and I was I was demoing the catalogue to one of the agencies and I said okay my favourite data set is a velociraptor data set that uh, you could put in your postcode and it will give you the chances of being killed by a velociraptor and I said well obviously it's totally useless but it it should foster some creative thinking and showing people that we're we're having fun with data and he turned around and he went oh wow that's amazing we're we're working with Jurassic Park right now that's a brilliant data set for us that I never would have thought about so really engaging people on thinking differently about mm -hmm. what data sets could be um, blended to create new insights and then the second one which I'm sure we'll talk about at length is our enablement program so a lot of time spent on training we have an AI academy where we've committed mm -hmm. to training 5,000 data scientists and a demystify AI program where we're upskilling 50,000 of our colleagues and then the third bucket uh, to go back to your intro is about communities and content so bringing people together and sharing content so those are my first three and actually they've been a really good anchor for me yeah. during the pandemic because I can always go back to as the inbox gets busy and the diary gets busy am I doing mm -hmm. one of those three things absolutely that's fantastic and I love that that idea of thinking outside the box with your data and actually you know being brave enough to suggest those sorts of things because I suppose there is a risk that it could go two two ways where it's either that's fantastic or die have you lost the plot why are we talking about dinosaurs and I think it's really fantastic you took that risk because it sounds like it really really did pay off now as you say one of the main things you've been uh, focusing on is bringing many many data teams across the i think it's 400 plus agencies mm -hmm. under wpp's umbrella together how have you been tackling that huge challenge so i get asked a lot on what other people are doing and i'm about to build this as somebody already done it so uh in july this year we launched our data and ai community we already have 2700 active members internally and um, so really want to make sure everyone feels included and it's an mm -hmm. inclusive thing so there's no such thing as a stupid question people email me and say Di do you mind if I post this on the community I was like don't you dare ask me permission it's our community yeah. I, I might be its biggest cheerleader but it's it's not mm -hmm. it's not for me it's for everyone and um, we've had uh, talks in fact I'm hosting one this afternoon where somebody wrote to me and said we're really proud of the reporting solution we've built can we share it with everybody we've got hundreds of people have accepted that invite we've wow. done one uh, 350 people attended our last panel on what's life past third-party cookies mm -hmm. and there's a real uh, breadth of ta of skills I guess from a data from people wanting just to learn more about data to scientists who are sharing mm -hmm. code thinking how how you might um, answer some particular challenges so that's been it's a lot of energy and it, and anybody looking to set up a community I will say you need to probably however much time you've allocated times that by 10 yeah uh, but that's been um, really rewarding and I get so much feedback which makes it all worthwhile mm -hmm. so I didn't know there were so many people yeah. I haven't seen so much collaboration you've given us a way to collaborate across agencies across markets even you know our agencies are all global so even different markets within the same agency now have a platform where they can share and collaborate Absolutely. 
Now, what's so funny to me, working in the events industry, I mean, I know obviously what, what we've seen this year, it's been a complete transformation, but kind of a traditional events approach. You know, I fully understand and appreciate the power of networking and sharing ideas. It's our bread and butter. And what makes me laugh is it's it's so simple, but obviously, as you say, it's so massive and, you know, it's not simple at all. But the, the premise of it, of just sharing ideas and saying, hey, this is this is a case study we've been working on. And actually, that all wouldn't have happened without this community base. So I think it's really, really interesting to actually see all the innovation that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for just someone saying, hey, we're doing this right now. Does anyone want to get involved or does anyone want to see that that thought sharing? Because very often, and it makes me laugh that you say there's no such thing as a stupid question, because something that was always drummed into me at university was if you're thinking of a question, chances are three other people in the room are also thinking of that question as well. And it's very similar with with I'm sure with projects and, and challenges that actually across the 400 plus agencies that you have, chances are someone else is working through that problem or has worked through it. So that that kind of thought thought sharing is is very interesting. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong with this, but you've set up a CDO group specifically within this as well, haven't you? And that one meets every two months, is it? Yes. So the Sea Dogs, uh, 88 members. Um, again, a mix of disciplines. So there are some of our most talented data scientists, but also mm -hmm. data strategists and uh, creative data people. And we've just had our second one. And I, I try and make sure it's slightly different from the community events because mm -hmm. this is about getting sponsorship, making sure that they know that their people have got licenses for Coursera as part mm -hmm. of our AI Academy. Please give your people space and time. Um, mm -hmm. But we have more specific cases where we share uh, stories, we share capability. One of the case studies that we shared in the last one, two other agencies came to me and said, oh, that's so brilliant. I didn't know that existed. I've been trying to set that up and now, you know, let's just work together. So that is just, it makes me really, it makes me really happy and people really appreciate it. And that they get to meet their peers. And it can be quite isolating if you're mm. in a, a, a chief data officer in a market that maybe have quite a small data team, but now people can navigate mm. across discipline, across market and across agency. Absolutely, fantastic. Now, I know you said there that whatever time you've, you've allotted to a community like this, times it by 10. And I always, it, it's one of the things I always like to try and do with these podcasts is offer uh, listeners and audience uh, members a, a chance to gain advice from, from the fantastic thought leaders that I have. So what would be the advice that you'd give to, to someone when it comes to setting up a group like this from scratch? Because, you know, from what you've said, you, you've had your second meeting and you've already had some fantastic outcomes. So what what's the the advice you'd give to setting something like that up so i mean it's a it's a really basic but be clear on the purpose and what the boundaries are um and there's a whole a lot of admin in setting this up because inviting people i mean i had i did a search on linkedin and on an internal directory of people who had data in their title then realized, as is always the way with data quality, wasn't quite because lots of people who don't have data in their title. Yeah. So gathering people to invite. And then I found some friendlies. So we have uh, about 15 data champions that I asked to work with us so that they will help um, get interest in their mm -hmm. agency. They will help drive up users. They will help post content because what I didn't want it to be was me posting content every day and nobody yeah. else feeling part of it so um 
and and I really wanted it to to grow organically so we've had two sub communities grow out of it one of them someone said can I set up a data visualization group should I set it up outside this and we've said no please keep it in so mm. we don't want to uh, control any of the content but making sure that people don't then set up a million other different communities yeah that's then the risk isn't it because you can go down so many kind of subgroups from from just kind of data analytics yeah absolutely. I mean it's just amazing how many different ways it can go and like I said because we've got creative media and experience agencies people all have slightly different lens on what their data challenges might be mm -hmm. or how they're working with data with clients um, but making it feel that everyone's welcome and really, really encouraging people to say, tell your friends, tell your colleagues. Yeah. Um, and we do, we ask for feedback constantly. We do a review of what great topics have been uh, talked about and we share that at the end of each month. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of people who work on the community to make it look this easy and low maintenance. Fantastic. Now, you, you've spoken through kind of uh, organically some of the challenges that you've experienced. And, you know, what sticks out for me is, is that person emailing you saying, can I post this? And that almost expected gatekeeping, I think, especially over the last, say, five years. I'm thinking like LinkedIn groups, there's often rules within those. Um, you know, there's, there's often kind of criteria for, for, for different uh, meetings. So how have you kind of overcome that that to the point that you aren't the only person posting in and you know creating content how have you generated that confidence I suppose for people to get involved so there's very little gatekeeping I mean we do just make sure that all client confidentiality mm. is adhered to which hasn't been an issue at all because everybody knows not to um not to break any confidences but to I make sure every post gets a response in some way and it's often me tagging other people who may not have spotted it okay. and we've had an example this morning someone said oh well, can you do you know how you could visualize this and I said don't ask me please ask the community and tag these two people who are setting up the data visualization yeah. and they've immediately come back so um I don't edit anything. I sometimes even myself wonder, oh, this is an article I think is interesting, but is it data or is it right. not? Yeah. Um, so I try and it was one that was an app that was a running app that they gamified it so that you could pretend you're being chased by zombies <laughs> or that you were running into a mountain. I thought, actually, I think the community will quite like that, but it's mm -hmm. not really data. But I try and make sure it is around work related. Yeah in some way but we are a creative transformation company so we have quite a lot of artistic license around that but yeah, yeah. try and make sure it sticks to topic wherever possible absolutely and it, often it, it does tend to be you know obviously we, we started out with laughing yoga which is probably quite an extreme example but generally speaking companies and organizations and departments attract like-minded people so chances are if you find that gamification quite interesting obviously on one hand from your data experience the, the way they've done that is very interesting but also just because you found it funny chances are someone else will have as well because you do tend to attract the same sort of people who have the same values and and kind of ideas around it. And we know data folks have a weird sense of humour. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. in my chief data officer group, I didn't. I said to everyone, "We're not going to do a round table intro because that will take half the meeting." So, could you just introduce yourself in the chat? And data jokes were appearing, um, which were obviously terrible. But yes, same same kind of um, values and sense of humour. Absolutely. So, obviously, you you started this role in 2020. So, I think it's 
a fair assumption to say most of this community work has been done virtually. Have mm -hmm. there been any new opportunities um, that you've seen because this has happened in 2020 that perhaps wouldn't have been explored if remote working and, you know, all the things that we've undergone this year hadn't been kind of the, the, the norm? I think it's a really good question because I think we would have tried to meet in person and then maybe had that slightly awkward hybrid model where we let people dial in. And I don't think that vibe works as well. I mean, I've had it on calls before where people have forgotten I'm on the call and they were meeting in real life and just leave me there on the phone while they've all left. And I, I love the fact that everyone's welcome, any market. I mean, mm -hmm. time zones with APAC is a bit of a challenge, but we've been able to create a global community that everyone feels like they've got a voice yeah. and, a, and a place. Whereas if it was mainly London on US time with some other people able to dial in, I just don't think it would have the same vibe. Mm. And I, I suppose because you've started out virtually, there's going to be ways that, you know, when if, whatever date that may be, when things do return um, to some sort of normal and people are out and about a bit more, I suppose, because you have such a strong foundation where you are generating such a community culture within the data culture that actually perhaps that will translate better when there's a hybrid, because you won't forget about die on the phone, because there's going to be a Zoom call that's going to be projected because more people are going to be uh involved so hopefully some of those kind of key learnings and culture will translate a bit better than say for example if this this period of time hadn't have happened and um you know you you'd started in a in a physical world yeah absolutely so let's let's move forward because I'm, I'm very conscious of the time it's it always moves far too fast for, for my liking so in terms of lessons learned, in your experience, what would you say are the greatest data opportunities for marketing and advertising companies today? And how can they overcome the challenges that they may face uh, as they work towards these, these goals? So I think two big opportunities and challenges associated. Um, so the first one is data literacy and the second one is ethics and mm -hmm. responsible AI. So just to talk about data literacy, I mean, there's a lot of conversations about what it means. If you look at literal uh, definition of literacy, it's about uh, understanding words and data literacy therefore would be about understanding data. And I have a slightly broader view because I think it's it doesn't have to mean data scientists or sophisticated analytics. I think improving the data literacy of everybody, not just within WPP, but in, we have a responsibility to society too. And we work mm -hmm. with partners on making sure um, we improve the data literacy. But to go back to one of my first comments about uh, us training 50,000 of our colleagues. So that is um, a massive opportunity for us to yeah. uh, upskill everybody. And it's people, it, and it is everybody. It, it's so it can be people who don't touch data, who, you know, who who mm. don't like numbers, but actually everybody needs to be able to, um, I think, especially given this weird time and the load, a whole load of rubbish charts and insights and rubbish stats that's been out, I think giving people um, a chance to, to, and the confidence to challenge, no, that's a small sample size, that's a rubbish yeah. percentage percentage that chart you've deliberately color-coded that to make it look like a different story all of these things that we've seen all the way through I think data literacy is a massive opportunity 
and we try and find interesting ways to engage people who maybe would normally think data is really boring and that robots were going to take our jobs. So we've partnered with Territory Studio, which is a visual effects company, and we've used blockbuster film footage to okay. dispel some of the Hollywood myths about AI versus the reality. Mm -hmm. And we've partnered with the Open Data Institute to do some data fundamentals training, and it's all around our data philosophy and our case study. So we've really made it relevant and brought it in to people's worlds. And our last one, which we've just launched, which I love is we've partnered with Synthesia, which is an AI generated mm -hmm. video company. So we've got AI training our people on AI. And we've asked 20 questions like, does WPP do AI? Does WPP have AI ethics? Mm -hmm. um, what is the role of AI in, in um, consumer packaged goods? And we, people can, uh, they get a personalized video that's tailored to their name and their market and it's in English, Spanish or Mandarin. So we've really tried to make sure there's something for everybody in upskilling and improving the data literacy, as well as training our most talented data scientists a bit yes. more. Absolutely. Uh, and then the second one on AI ethics, doing a huge amount of work on getting guidelines and principles and the, the mm -hmm. role of transparency, explainability, accountability, reminding people that humans are the ones that are accountable. It's not the yes. machines. Machines and algorithms got a really hard time with A-levels recently and often the machines get blamed, but let's just remember it's a human that is doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Now we only have a few moments left and there was one final area I wanted to uh, kind of pick your brains further on Dai. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, last month, in fact, you used your CDAO Europe live presentation to make some pretty bold calls about the future of data and analytics and your points about sustainability were particularly interesting. I was very, very lucky that I got to, to host that, that session with you. And I wondered if you could just recount those for our listeners who perhaps uh, didn't get a chance to tune in to, to the conference. Yes, I will do. I love this. Um, so this was part of a Data 2030 a paper that we wrote just trying to predict the future in a world when we can't predict next week. Let's mm -hmm. look further ahead. So uh, sustainability is a really interesting thing that I think people will talk about much more because it's easy to think in the past, let's collect every bit of data we possibly can. There's been mm -hmm. very much a volume brag. I've got 20 billion rows of this. I know all of this, but people need to remember that data consumption is energy consumption. Those two are directly linked and that is going to have a cost to our planet and the environment. Mm -hmm. And the IDC predicts that by 2025, 175 zettabytes, now we're onto a new word because we've, we've grown out of all the yeah. others um, of data will be collected compared with 33 zettabytes um, in 2018 so this volume is going to be huge and as individuals we've got a responsibility the predictions are that we'll still be allowed to take photos on our camera and on our phones but um, that again is using up a huge amount of energy as we're taking that so I think corporations will take more responsibility I do even think we'll have some sustainability taxes coming okay. I think a load of companies will then uh, turbocharge their data minimization strategy mm -hmm. and it will be part of their being carbon neutral plans which a lot of companies have they will need to think about the servers that they've got and just because they're in the cloud it doesn't mean they um, they don't count and I so yeah. I think there'll be a lot of uh, let's have less data 
Fantastic. Now, CDOs are incredibly busy. So realistically, when do you think sustainability concerns will start to creep up their agenda in, in terms of kind of time frame, I suppose? I mean, I, I put this in for 2030, but it will happen a lot before then, because we know uh, curating, processing, keeping data clean, it's expensive. But how brilliant to think, actually, not only do I not want to invest in this anymore, I don't want to have such personal data with about my customers. They don't want it. I can't justify its use, actually, because of contextual targeting and other things that are available. You maybe mm -hmm. don't need it. It's not to say you don't need first party data, but I think people will just think um, in the next couple of years, let's stop investing yeah. in all of this data that we don't need. Super. And then my last question to you, Di, to, to round off what has been an absolutely fantastic conversation is if there was one piece of advice or one takeaway from this podcast episode that you'd love the audience to just take with them back to the office, they could be they could be driving in their car, they could be on their lunch break listening to this. What would that one piece of advice or key takeaway be? Find a data story that you love and share it. I try and find one every week. I challenge myself to read weird blogs and stories so that I can try and engage non-data people um, and try and teach people one thing that they didn't know. And I don't mean in a literal, here's a data process, but just data stories, data quirks that people didn't know. So I think to be curious and read, there's lots of very strange blogs out there, people doing brilliant things with data. Um, so go forage. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I don't know whether this counts as a rather strange podcast. I'll, I'll leave that up to the, the, to the audience. <laughs> of course no. it is. It's but they brilliant. might they might tick it off. We've spoken about dinosaurs and all sorts, so I, oh, I yeah. feel like we're we're in the running for that title. I so, hope so it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Catherine. It's really fun. I absolutely love catching up with Di. She's always so full of passion and always has an interesting story to tell. Never did I think that the words laughing, yoga or pterodactyl would feature on the bod pod. But here we are. What a great episode. As always, make sure you're subscribed to the Business of Data platform to be first in line to receive our thought-leading insights and content. And if you're not already, do be sure to follow us on socials as well. You'll get the chance to chat with your fellow thought leaders as well as receive notifications on the latest content. As always, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.